The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers, with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Clara Franklin, announcing show number 463, with guest Brian North, recorded live Monday, June 29, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering .NET Nuke video training with Chris Hammond from Engage Software on DVD, DNRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, man without whom this intro would not be possible, my dad. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard here for your listening pleasure. It's, uh, it's silly time. Nah, it's not that silly. No, it's not that silly. We're, uh, we're going to be talking to Brian Noyes in a bit. But uh, first, man, I tell you, I have been at this, and I know this is, this is late. We're publishing this one several couple of weeks after we recorded right. it. But um, I've been working on this speech application and trying to figure out how to do a certain thing, which I'll tell you about right now in Better Know Framework. Okay, it's funky music. So, uh, as I said, I've been working on this speech application, and the biggest thing that I wanted to do was to be able to recognize a phrase that has some random text at the end. Like, if you were just to say, you know, you, when you build a speech app, you have a grammar, and it has a list of phrases that it can match against. But what happens if one or more of the items in the phrase is, is some piece of data that maybe you have to compare that against another grammar? And you might not want to load that grammar up until it's time to actually recognize, because then you'd have to load everything up all at once before you know what they're going to say. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. So let's say you want to process something like, what's the weather in Orlando, Florida? All right. All right. So rather than loading up what's the weather in for every city and state and adding adding that to a grammar that takes up lots and lots of time to load and all that kind of stuff, you want to tell it to recognize what's the weather in and then some wild card. 
And then you want to be able to take that audio, just that portion, that wildcard portion afterwards, and send that to another grammar, which you can load up on the fly or load asynchronously or do whatever you want, or just compare that against some some words that you want to build on the fly, right? Right. Well, how to do that is to use the grammar builder object and use the append wildcard method. I've ah. been looking for this for days. So they actually have a method for exactly what you're describing. Exactly what you're describing. And then what happens is you can get the audio for just those words that uh, are the wild card and then pass those. You change the uh, speech recognition engine to read from an audio stream instead of the uh, audio input. And you basically create a memory stream. You dump the audio into the stream. You pass it to this to the recognizer, and boom, it knows what you're talking about. Interesting. So you could say, like, my password is blah, you know, uh, and that would allow you to speak your password and then compare it to a grammar, which you could load up, uh, you know, on the fly. Right. So it's pretty cool. It is cool. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. All right. I think it's cool. I like that. It's pretty cool. Totally useless for most people, but I like it. I just love discovering these little gems in the .NET framework. It just is so rich, you know? And there you go. I like it. Awesome. So, Richie, you got an email. I do indeed. And this one starts off with a very noncommittal, hey, guys. <laughs> hey. Just saying. Hey. One of my recent favorite shows was 434, Arush Kishan and the Windows Kernel. Yeah, While most shows are high level, this one dug way down into the kernel and blew my mind. Mine too. Getting into the nitty-gritty details of how real operating systems are implemented was a pleasant contrast to my OS course in college that was simplifying on the complexities. So that said, I'd l sure love to hear more episodes that get down into the guts of a technology. I'm sure that these will be rare since they don't appeal to most .NET listeners. But if you ever need to fill some time, please get more technical. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing that too. One potential topic inspired by the current Herding Code episode with Damien Gard is fonts. Fonts. How they're designed, packaged, the terminology like kerning and glyphs, dealing with Unicode, implications of clear type, and so on. Related to this, it'd be great to hear about the challenges that plague device-independent font rendering as we see with the current WPF and Silverlight releases and how Microsoft has resolved these issues with .NET 4.0. Hey, Richard. What? Yeah? Your serif is showing. Nice. You know, I, I tried to. I keep my hair long so it won't show. You got to tuck that in once in a while. Tuck that in. Your serif is poking out. <laughs> they say it's fixed, but there's still ground to be broken on the current beta. Another topic that'd be interesting is how to leverage the .NET framework to improve accessibility of WinForms and ASP.NET applications for the disabled. Oh yes. Hey, speaking of that. Yeah. Speaking of speech. Speaking of speech. <laughs> I'm serious. Wouldn't you like to be able to just talk to your computer and not yeah. even have to look at it? Yeah, I think that there are some interesting possibilities there. And uh, he goes on, <laughs> uh, Kevin goes on to say, how would you test apps for uh, the disabled? Hmm. Anyway, those are my ideas, and uh, I'll let you know if I have any others. Thanks for all your hard work and for reading my ramblings. Kevin Pullen. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin, I have an answer for you for, as about testing for the disabled. Close your eyes. And handcuff yourself to the chair. Nice. And put some earplugs in while you're at it. To uh, to channel K 
Karen Mangiacotti. That's what I call a Saturday night. Saturday night in my house. <laughs> <laughs> How can Brian anyway, sit on the line and not laugh? Brian, yeah, what's no, the matter he's, with you? He's, yeah, I think he's muted. Mute That's what it is. Mute button, he says. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so, Kevin, thanks for your email, and uh, Mug's on your way. And if you've got show ideas, some criticisms and concerns, stuff you'd like to see, send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net. You know, in this economic downturn, there are people who are hiring, and Infusion Development is one of those people. They're looking for SharePoint gurus so uh, and just general .net wizards. So if you'd like to work in Dubai or Toronto or London or New York City, and are interested in working with some really cool, very talented, and creative people, and uh, they pay well, as far as I hear, send me an email, carl at franklins.net. So let's introduce Brian, Brian Noyes. He's been on the show many, 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 many times. Uh, he is chief architect with iDesign, Microsoft's regional director for Virginia, and an MVP for Connected Systems. His latest book is Smart Client Deployment with Click Once. Brian publishes articles in a variety of publications and speaks at international conferences and events, including TechEd, TechEd US, TechEd Europe, and Malaysia, Visual Studio Connections, and DevTeach. Brian is a top-rated speaker on the iNetis Speakers Bureau and travels the country, frequently speaking to developer user groups. He got started with programming to stimulate his brain while flying F-14 Tomcats in the Navy, graduating from Top Gun and U.S. Test and U.S graduating from Top Gun and U.S. Naval Test Pilot School. Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. You can always find out the latest things Brian's up to on his blog, which is at softinsight.com slash bnoise. Hey, Brian. Hey, how's it going? If you want to fly F-14s, you got to move to Iran. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Actually, even easier for the blog is just briannoise.net. Oh, okay. So, yeah, the, the mute button was saving me there, guys, on the intro. <laughs> it was saving us. <laughs> <laughs> so WTF is up with WF4. <laughs> yeah, I thought that would be a catchy title. Yeah, I like uh, that. Yeah, that'd be a nice uh, session title. Yeah. Definitely. WTF with WF. Indeed. Uh, we're still stuck with those foundations for quite quite some time to come, I believe. Mistake that the naming convention was. I'm just waiting for Windows Test Foundation. That nice. would be WTF. There you go. Workflow, it seems to be the red-headed stepchild of the stack. Indeed. And the question is whether it will ever be able to get rid of that status. You know, the, the, the experience of early workflow wasn't all that great. And not just beta software, but the first version of workflow, the designer had some issues. And, you know, what's, what's the state of it now? Now we're on version 4. Surely it's got to be better by now. Well, we hope so. But the thing people have to keep in mind is, even though they're calling it Workflow 4, it's really starting over at a version 1 from some nice. respect. Huh. Well, for starters, is it actually the fourth version? Because I don't trust Microsoft's version numbering anymore. Entity Framework went 1.4. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, with some respects, it's really version 3. Okay. You go with pure numbering because, you know, Workflow first came out in 3.0, and then it got some minor updates in 3.5. And so this would be the third release. But in fact, you know, we'll talk about what all's changed as we go through this. But the fact is almost everything about Workflow has changed. They've rewritten almost everything. And so as a result, you know, we, we know the way code goes. First time you write stuff, mm. you get it all right the first time? Yeah, mm. no. No. 
On the other hand, generally version threes, real version threes, are good versions in the sense that this is where after you've had it out in the field long enough that you've really thought through how people are using it, and uh, and so the rethink is usually a good thing. Well, exactly, and that's that's where you know what you were referring to there, Carl. I always refer to it as the you know death by a thousand paper cuts uh, <laughs> syndrome with workflow is with workflow three X as we call it. You know the current release version. Not much changed in 3.5, so a lot of people just call it Workflow 3, but yeah, there were just so many little things that, you know, went varied from just minor annoyances to just, you know, beating your head against the computer going, why am I using this again? Well, we sound very smug sitting here picking on Workflow, but the reality is, I mean, that the promise of Workflow, and when it does work really well, can be very, very beneficial to your to your process. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, there's there's been lots of cases where... You know, I've had customers where it's like, you know, this is a perfect fit for workflow. You could go off and you could implement this in pure code, you know, maybe using WCF for the remote calls, but but put all the logic in code and try to get it all straight yourself. Yeah. Or you could do it with workflow. And, and with workflow, you know, you're going to suffer some paper cuts getting it there, but what you'll end up with is much more likely to be correct and much more likely to be maintainable and, and, and you know, understandable because of the nature of the workflow definition. Yeah, okay. But, you know, in terms of the versioning and this being 1.0, I think Richard makes a a very good point, is certainly there's going to be some things that aren't perfect with this because it is a complete rewrite, and so from that perspective, it's a version 1.0. But sort of the promise here that, you know, I'm looking at workflow 4.0 with, and so far my experience with it is what Richard alluded to, is that, you know, now they've had the experience of a couple of years of people trying to use the existing version, figuring out what they didn't like, what they did like, and kind of starting over from scratch, which, I mean, there's plenty of us that wish we could do that with our own projects, right? You know, now we know what we should have built the first time. Right. And having the ability to start over and build it, you know, right from scratch is a great thing. So I think there will be, and, you know, I'm already seeing in blog posts, um, you know, people sort of complaining about certain things they're seeing in the beta, which certainly some of it is uh, just like user experience in the designer, and, and that should certainly improve by release. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's still going to be things, I'm sure, that will be annoying or not quite perfect, but the overall model has, has improved quite a bit. Well, let's say that you're, I mean, you know, our cynicism aside, let's say that you are, can, you've never done any workflow and done any work with workflow, workflow foundation. What does it do for you in general? Like, why why use it? Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things to get your head around is, is you know, almost everyone's application has something in it that sort of smells like workflow, if you look at it, you know, and cock your head the right way. Um, the, you know, some of the attributes of workflow that, that come out is if it's, if there's a process, you know, if you think of things as a business process and if it takes a while to get done. You know, if it's just pure computational logic, then you could implement it as workflow, but it probably doesn't make sense to do so. But if it's something where you do a little bit of stuff computationally and then you have to wait for user input or wait for some external event to occur and then you do some more stuff and then you wait and then you do some more stuff yeah. and eventually you get from kind of a starting point to an end point on a process, that's a workflow basically. And, and if you have requirements that can be described that way, having a workflow engine and, and a way of de- defining that code that supports that process, 
you know, basically just aligns your code better with the overall business process you're you're trying to uh, trying to implement. Will we call so, those long running transactions? Yes and no. I, I, the only reason I hesit- hesitate on that term is it may or may not be transactional from a atomic transactions perspective. Hmm. Um, and workflow does also support what are called uh, long running compensatable transactions, which is when you can't afford to hold database locks. Um, but you still need to be able to sort of back out changes if something goes wrong. That's that's another thing that Workflow Foundation supports. So that is transactional in a logical sense. But you know, some people when they hear transactional think atomic database transactions, automatic rollbacks, that kind of thing. And even though Workflow can participate in those things and can have these longer running notions, you can still have workflows that don't necessarily do anything transactionally. Yeah. Is there any assistance in helping you? Uh, take your existing code and move it into Workflow. I mean, or re refactor it to use Workflow. That would be wonderful. <laughs> I think that's probably <laughs> that's probably the biggest barrier to adoption, both with the current version, and I think it'll continue to be, uh, you know, a barrier to adoption even with 4.0. Even if they get everything perfect in 4.0 that they promised, and there's no no paper cuts. Um, I think the barrier is still that you have to sort of approach your problems differently. You have to be more of an abstract thinker. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, if if you can't back away from the keyboard and think through your problem at a whiteboard, you're not going to really like using workflow because you okay. really have to think about the problem in more abstract terms, sort of macro steps that need to occur, and then you drill down to the, the fine-grained implementation of those steps. So there's not, you know, in answer to your question, there's not a clean mapping from the way people would normally write code to, you know, doing it the workflow way because it's almost the reverse process. It's more, you know, kind of like the architect at the whiteboard stepping mm-hmm. down to the keyboard and implementing the, the bubbles that he drew. Yeah. And we'd like him to do that more often, you know. And I call that job security for Brian. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it certainly means that, you know, if you have experience using workflow, your skills are going to be in demand. Now, I say are going to be. Are they already in demand? Is is there demand for uh, for for people with workflow chops out there? Yes and no. I, I mean, workflow adoption has been really slow uh, with, with workflow 3. So, you know, even though I, I've done a lot of writing and speaking on workflow and I'm sort of recognized as, as supposedly a workflow expert, um, you know, it's not like that's all I do. I'd say it's it's very rare that I get a customer dedicated to workflow. The phone's not ringing off the wall, in other words. No, not specifically for that. I mean, it definitely factors into some of the, like I said, it's more that, you know, we take a whole system architecture approach uh, in, in our, the consulting we do. So there will there's certainly been a number of customers where we go in and talk about the requirements and, and discover in going through that that there's a, you know, a fit there for a portion of their requirements to implement with workflow. Yeah. And there have been a few customers that have come and said, we know we want to do workflow and come help us do it. Um, but it's not like, you know, like let's say you're a well-recognized SharePoint expert right now. It's not going to matter what their requirements are. They're going to come, you know, banging on your door because everyone needs SharePoint experts. Okay. So now for the more experienced workflow developer, thanks for uh, sitting through that with us. Now let's talk about what's new in Workflow 4. Sure. Um, like I said, pretty much everything. So there you have it. We can <laughs> okay. <leave. laughs> it's been a great show. We'll see you next time.
Thanks very much. Forget everything you learned before. Really? And, uh, so that really is a rewrite. It is. I mean, the, you know, the, the good news, if people have been using Workflow, is that it's not like you have to throw away all your skills and knowledge. Um, it may feel like that a little bit at first because all your interactions with the programming model and the designer will, fe- will be a little different. But there's, you know, there's definitely parallel concepts. Will it uh, import your existing workflows? No, not yet. They are looking. Uh, there, there's a number of migration scenarios we can talk through. We had this problem with the last version of Workflow, didn't we? Uh, not really, because there was nothing before it. So, wait a minute. So, <laughs> this is. I thought this was version four. Well, no, it's it's sort of logically version three. Right. The difference between version one and two was only the addition of two activities. The, the WCF send and receive activities. Oh, okay, I was. I seem to recall, Richard. Maybe you can refresh my memory, but I seem to recall talking about talking with somebody about the the new version of workflow that's up and coming. That's going to break everything. Yeah, and that's four. You know yeah. the way you describe it there, uh, Brian. It's almost as if this is version two. That there was a one and yeah. a one point one. Yeah. Now it's I, really, I'd say that's a more fair, fair characterization because really there was almost nothing new in three five other than. Better WCF integration. All right, so guess I guess then I'm just surprised that it's taken this long to get out the door because I because I haven't been paying attention to the workflow releases and I I thought we already had a new one that broke everything. Apparently, you're not alone, Mr. Franklin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty much well. People have been talking about workflow for you know they sort of released uh, the details of everything they were working on at PDC last year. So that was probably where you first started hearing about all this, and, and it's just that we have to wait till 4.0 actually releases to get all, to all right. that. So there's a declarative workflow model now? Yeah, so, I mean, we can go through the list here. There's, you know, because almost everything is different, it means there's, there's lots of new capabilities, and that's why they want that path. It was one of those things where, you know, initially they said, well, okay, can we go in and sort of, you know, evolutionary change to the existing model and, you know, one of the specific features that, that we should definitely mention that, uh, you know, is a, a huge boost is the speed improvements. And so they are saying that with new runtime, they are seeing 10 to 100 times improvement in speed. Wow. Wow. And so if you think about that fact alone and then think about, you know, any piece of code you've ever written and say, how could I go into that piece of code and make it 10 to 100 times faster? Yeah. Is there ever an answer that's not rewrite it? Yeah, right. You know, so that's part of the reason that everything's new is they pretty much had to rewrite the engine to get the speed improvements they were looking for. Hmm. Um, so, you know, at the, at the very base level, the first thing that's changed is the runtime execution engine is a whole new engine. Um, so everything that runs on top of it has the potential to be different as well. Um, you mentioned the declarative workflow model. You know, that's definitely a bit, one of the biggest differences people will notice right away if they have experience with workflow is what you actually, you know, there's still the, the concept that mostly what you do is drag and drop and set properties in the designer mm-hmm. um, because that's sort of one of the benefits of the workflow technology is having this visualization of the overall process uh, that you're implementing. But under the okay. covers of what's being generated, um, instead of being this mix of code and more code, uh, which is really the default model for, for Workflow 3, 
um, even though Workflow 3 did support a, a combination of XAML and code behind, uh, most people just kind of stuck to the defaults of Visual Studio, which was more like Windows Forms, where you have the designer-generated C-sharp or VB code and then a separate sort of code behind thing that you owned. But wow. in 4.0, it's basically all just declared as XAML. Okay. And that's sort of an oversimplification because, you know, XAML doesn't really execute. It just creates objects and, and calls them. So the things that you're declaratively creating in the XAML is really just saying the composition of activities, uh, where the activities are the building block of a workflow. It's what is the composition of activities and how do you wire those things together and what kind of data do you flow to them. All of that can be expressed declaratively. But the actual implementation of an activity you know, pretty much always needs code implementation to say what exactly does that activity do when it's reached within the workflow. Yeah. So basically what you end up with with that is you still get, if you want it, which most people do at least as a starting point, you can just drag and drop in the designer and you just get a XAML file out of it with no code behind. So is the WPF designer um, uh, contributing to the speed of it or is it really the runtime where all the horsepower is? Yeah, it's really the, the, the runtime. It's the execution runtime that, that speed improvement is there. But, but you're correct that there is a brand new designer. That's, you know, another uh, big new feature because all of Visual Studio 10 is now WPF-based. Uh, the, the workflow designer has been rewritten from scratch, and it's WPF-based as well. So, you know, they're just able to do a little bit fancier UI potentially. If you look at the beta right now, it's still pretty crude, and so that's one of the... Uh, Areas that hopefully will improve by release, but you know they they move to a WPF based designer because one of the lines better with the XAML declarations, and two it means they can you know have a little more flexibility in the the graphic representation of the workflow. Man, I really love this um, this new performance kick that Microsoft is on. I hope they keep it up. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah. especially because that was you know of the barriers of adoption in in Workflow three. That was one of the larger ones because, you know, one of the – there's lots of scenarios that pop up with workflow that you go, wow, that would be a perfect fit for workflow if only it didn't slow everything down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say if only it didn't suck, but that would be rude. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, but, um, you know, I had a customer – the perfect example of this is I had a customer that um, – came to me, you know, saying, we, we've heard about this workflow thing and we think it's perfect for us because, and it was basically a medical image processing application where they have these complex algorithms with, you know, dozens to hundreds of little algorithmic steps that they invoke. Oh, man. And they sort of, and they sort of compose these things in different ways to do certain kinds of processing. And they said, you know, our biggest problem is just maintaining how do we, you know, we've got a hundred different uh, algorithms we invoke for, for a given uh, way of processing an image. And then if we go to add one process or one step, we got to go, you know, into the code and try to wire it in at the correct place and make sure it's being called right. And so this workflow sounds, sounds nice because we'd have this graphical representation and we could, you know, look at it and very easily verify are we invoking the right step at the right time. And so from that perspective, it was like, yeah, that does say that, you know, workflow would be a great fit for you. But then I pressed more on, you know, the requirements and said, okay, you know, tell me more about the app. 
you know, what are your other challenges? And they're like, well, that maintenance and, you know, getting all the pieces in the right order is, is really a big problem for us. But even worse is our end-to-end processing time. You know, we can't do anything that will extend our end-to-end processing time. And so right there I was like, okay, then forget workflow. Because in, in workflow three, one of the big downsides was sort of the time to move from activity to activity. You could think of each activity as just a method call. And mm-hmm. so if you took and, you know, actually had those as method calls and timed end-to-end, and I've done this before to try and, you know, pro- profile it and see exactly how bad it was, took a, you know, simple little algorithmic kind of calculation of 10 steps, implemented it as 10 methods, and then put, just put the implementation of those methods into activities, you know, and called it a thousand times kind of thing. And it ended up being somewhere between 100 to 1,000 times slower than just doing it as methods. And so, you know, if you're looking at end-to-end computation time, doing it as a workflow in 3.0 just didn't make sense because it's too much slower. In 4.0, they've gotten the speed down to where there's not going to be that much of a difference. And so for things like page sequencing in an ASP.NET app, it starts to make sense, whereas before you wouldn't want to introduce latency, especially with the user in the loop waiting for their page to come back. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, without whose support this show would not be possible. Hey, how many times have you drowned into endless CSS classes just to change the color of a single element of your application UI? How many times have you had to ask your designer to create custom skins so that your UI controls match your company's brand identity? It's time to turn to a new page. Telerik has launched the Visual Style Builder for ASP.NET Ajax, an online application that allows you to visually modify skins or design new ones with point and click. Colorizing a complete skin at once has never been easier. Just move the color slider and all elements will shift their color spectrum accordingly. That's cool. If the colorization is not enough, you can fine-tune individual elements to perfection. Whether you want to change fonts and sizes, margins and padding, background colors, or just about any style property, it's all easy and intuitive through the Visual Style Builder's graphical interface. It sounds incredible. So let's go and check it out at stylebuilder.telerik.com. Hey, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. This sort of implies the whole issue of uh, of size, too. I, when you were telling that story, I was thinking, wow, that sounds like they've got a ton of steps. Is there, is there a reasonable limit to how many steps in a workflow makes sense? No, that is a very good question. Um, I don't know of any upper limit, you know, where things fall off a cliff. Uh, with, with Even with 3.0 today, I think it's kind of a, a linear growth in terms of you know, it, basically the, the rest of the workflow, the biggest downside would just be, like, the persistence cost. Actually, that is one place where there's a big difference between 4.0 and 3.0 is that, like, in 3.0, there's this uh, persistence model with workflow where when it's not actually doing anything, you know, one of the benefits to it is if your workflow is going to take six months to run, you don't actually want to hold those objects in memory on the server for six months. Yeah, that would be bad. So workflow, you know, whenever the workflow goes idle, basically, it can... Uh, persisted to serializes the, the workflow out to disk, uh, typically to a database. And then when an event occurs that will wake it up, a timer or an external event, um, basically it deserializes and gets it running again. Well, in 3.0, they pretty much had to serialize the entire workflow. So if you had you know 10,000 activities in there 
and all their contained state. That would just be one big massive blob every time oh, they yeah. hit, hit an idle point. They would have to persist that. Uh, in 4.0, they're, they're much smarter about that, and they only persist sort of you know what's immediately coming up and what state needs to be there because they have better information. One of the other big features we can talk about is, is the way they pass data around in a workflow. They have these arguments and variables now. And so they, they have a much more well-defined scoping mechanism for state within the workflow hmm. so they can figure out just what to persist out at a given point in the workflow. Probably the biggest place you would see a, you know, a big fall-off as workflows got bigger and bigger in the past was the, the persistence cost um, and, and the memory footprint of having all those uh, activities in memory. But I think both of those get improved in uh, in four O quite a bit. Hmm. Right. Well, it's just going back to addressing the real issues here. Of you know, what do you, you, you is, these things are going to demo well, but as soon as you get to any size of any kind, you're going to struggle. Well, and especially because it's it's particularly those cases where workflow makes even more sense because you're you know it's a way of managing that complexity. If you've got a, a thousand methods in your business layer. You know what? What are the chances that you got them all wired up in the correct order? Yeah, and you can modify them easily and verify them and so forth. I imagine testing becomes really important here too, because especially when you want to find bottlenecks, if you've got uh, your workflow pieces in unit tests, then uh, then it'd be easy to to time them. Don't you think? Yep, definitely. And and that's another place that's improved in four O is uh, in workflow three. You could you could. Pretty much unit test your custom activities. If you had encapsulated code and custom activities, there's basically just an execute method you have to call. So there were ways to call those directly from unit tests, but it wasn't super clean because you have this funky parameter that goes in there called an activity execution context. And so it wasn't easy, but it, it wasn't impossible either. Um, the execution model of activities has changed quite a bit. And there's this more explicit model of, of passing in arguments. So it's much more like calling a method um, in Workflow 4. So writing unit tests against your activities is even easier. And in Workflow 3, it was almost impossible to really write a unit test on the workflow as a whole. But in 4.0, workflows are really just activities. They're just big composite activities that have the same execution model as the, as the individual activities within it. Yeah. So you can basically unit test at whatever you know level of granularity you want. Um, so that story gets better in 4.0 as well. What about state machine workflows? Uh, now you've touched on the ugliest aspect. Uh, <laughs> that's what my get, job is. Exactly. Get right to the heart. I got to get to the ugly. So, you know, if there is one thing that you can hear the most clamor about, you know, they've totally screwed it up in, in workflow 4.0 out, out on the on the blog and Twitter sphere. It's that. Um, there is no state machine workflow in Workflow 4. And what makes that particularly painful is the fact that in Workflow 3, there were two execution models, a sequence workflow and a state machine workflow. And for, I'd say, 90% of the real-world workflows out there, you almost always had to do it as a state machine, even if you didn't naturally think about your problem that way, because you needed uh, what I refer to as back navigation. You know, if you think about a, a wizard analogy, if you were going to mm. put the logic of a wizard into a workflow, if all you had were next buttons, mm -hmm. then it would fit nicely with a sequential workflow. But as soon as you put previous buttons on there, now it's a mess if you try to do it in a sequential workflow. Yeah. So there's just no way to get back. Right. Well, there is. What you have to do is you have to use a while loop. Basically, there's a, a while activity 
And so for every back navigation you have, you have to have a, a loop, basically, that loops you back to that previous point. So, like, a, you know, a five-step wizard would have to have five uh, nested while loops, basically. Oh, oh my man. God, that's crazy. Just to have a previous button on each, on each page. Well, and essentially you're just creating the state machine that ought to be there in the first place. Okay, so my question and everybody's question is why? That is an excellent question. I haven't heard a you know an official answer out of Microsoft. I think it's primarily a resource thing. Um, the part of the justification, part of the reason is that you don't need them as much anymore. Um, the thing that they added is there's a new execution model called a, a flowchart workflow, which basically gives you exactly you know for that ninety percent of the cases I was talking about, a vast majority of those are things that you would like to think about as a sequential workflow if you could just have those back arrows. And so a flowchart oh, gives you a free-form you know, set of activities that you can draw arrows between. Okay. So you can go back if you need to go back. Yeah, in Workflow 4. And that's new in Workflow 4? We didn't have flowcharts before? Nope. Just sequential and state machine. Wow. I think you're, you've been living on a parallel plane since uh, PDC there, Carl. I think maybe, yeah. Well, you know, workflow's not really something I think about all the time, so. Of course, I guess the real sin around the state machine thing is it's something that was in three and now yeah. is out of four. Yeah, so, I mean, there is good justification there. You know, there is a strong argument to be made that if you're starting from scratch, you know, a large percentage of the things that you might have had to use a state machine for in Workflow 3, you can use a flowchart for, and you'll have, you know, a better mapping of your problem onto the diagram that you create. But there is still, you know, there's still a fair number of uh, solutions and things out there where they are basically natural state machines, and it's nice to be able to represent them as such. And having to, you know, force the natural representation of a state machine onto a flowchart, which can be done, just requires the same kind of, uh, you know, Vulcan mind meld that it required before, that if you had something that was sort of inherently sequential, but just had a couple of backlinks in it, forcing that onto a state machine just because you had to, to get the backlinks. So I think there's going to be, you know, that's another one of those things where I think there will be a barrier to adoption because of that with Workflow 4 where people are like, but I just want a state machine. Yeah. Well, you can do that. You just have to think of it as a flowchart, you know. And anytime you try to force someone to think differently than they want to think, then they're going to go, well, I'll just do it some other way. Right. Yeah, I'll go elsewhere. Yeah. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about here, but I think is very salient to the overall issue, is workflow really came from a need internal to Microsoft, the fact that there was workflow being built for BizTalk and workflow being built for SharePoint in other places, and they really said, you know, we should come up with a common workflow, which is a great idea, but I've yet to see these teams actually adopt it. Well, there's actually quite a few products that have either, I mean, there's release products like SharePoint, like you said, uh, you know, next versions of BizTalk, whatever they, they become. Um, they're, you know, speech server, you were, you were talking speech in the, right. the intro there. Right. Speech server has is, is got workflow 3.0 in it, basically. Um, there's other products. I'm not sure if, you know, there, there's been talk of things like uh, SQL integration services, pretty much anything that Microsoft does that sort of looks and feels like a workflow. Uh, they can potentially release release new versions in the future built on Workflow 4.0. Yeah. yeah the, my point is they haven't. True. You know, SharePoint's workflow is its own thing. That's true. Well, 
not no 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 SharePoint's workflow is Windows Workflow Foundation. Well, it's a special version of it, though, right? Yeah. No, no. Basically, what it is is it's just a you know when Workflow first came out, part of the vision was that people would build sort of domain specific uh, sets of activities that run on Windows Workflow Foundation. Okay. Well, SharePoint, you can think of as one of those implementations. It, basically, what they do is they just have some uh, SharePoint-specific workflow activities for things like managing lists and doing document approvals and sending notifications and all the things that are sort of inherent features of SharePoint. They have pre-built activities, Windows workflow activities, that you know you use the same designer in Visual Studio. You just have some extra activities in your in your tool. Uh, you know, your tool palette yeah. that you drag and drop on and set properties on. But, you know, one of the the thing that really makes the SharePoint stuff sort of feel like it's a different workflow is the fact that you can actually design workflows with no code because mm. the activities have everything inside them and you just need to wire them together in the designer. And so there are some new activities here now in 4. Yes, there's also, you know, that's one of the other ads in, in 4.0 is that in 3.0, Pretty much all that was there out of the box was control constructs, things that, you know, map directly to keywords in your language, basically, if, while, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Um, in 4.0, it's still mostly that, to be honest, but there are a number of new activities. There's, uh, you know, a common requirement is send an email notification. So there's email. There's uh, some database ones for doing, you know, if you want to go select some information and want to do it declaratively. Tell me a table name and what columns, that kind of thing. Um, there are a bunch of PowerShell ones, so if you need to go out and do some file manipulation or things like that, there's some PowerShell activities. Um, and there's some new there's new control constructs, uh, sort of broadening the scope there. So there's a do while instead of just a while. There's a, a parallel for each, so you can do basically a for each uh, type of thing, but have the branches execute concurrently. Um, that's huh. one other you know, subtle little thing that's different in 4.0 is that there were things in 3.0 that at the, at the workflow designer level, there was this parallel activity, for example, mm-hmm. which sort of gave you the impression of concurrency, but ultimately it was still running single-threaded. Uh, in workflow 4.0, the things that look parallel actually execute in parallel with, with multiple threads. Hmm. Wow, interesting. I mean, it, yeah. Now you get into some of the architectural potential of could workflow be a parallel executor for you, right? And if things are separable, you know, you get to a point in your workflow where you need to do, you know, especially if you think about calling out to multiple services and aggregating their results. Yeah, you know, there's no reason you can't make those calls in parallel and just kind of have a, a logical join back to get the results and, and process them. Yeah, there's possibilities there. Very interesting. Yeah. So now, um, what about migration? Because this is the thing that I guess everybody's talking about that, uh, that's going to be Migration's tough. Migration's got several aspects to it. Um, we sort of touched on before, there is no you know, automatic generation or automatic yeah. migration tool yet. Right. Uh, they are considering it is about all they've said. And you know, when that might show up or if it shows up is still speculation at this point. Um, but there are definitely there's a strong focus on migration. Uh, you know, even though adoption was fairly low with 3.0, the people who did invest are the kinds of you know usually it's big enterprises that do this stuff, and those are the customers they don't want to piss off by by abandoning them. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So they've already got some, uh, some migration uh, white papers that they've written. They have one specifically for state machines already. So, you know, if you have a state machine workflow and, and you need to migrate, they have specific guidance on that. Um, they've got, uh, you know, migration guides for custom activities and, and, you know, all the things you would do in, in Workflow 3. They've got migration guides either out already or coming out soon to sort of step you through in recipe fashion of how to do it yourself. Um, the other thing is that, you know, at a starting point, you don't have to migrate. Workflow 4 will ship with all the Workflow 3.5 bits. So the, the you know, Workflow 3.5 runtime, all the Workflow 3.5 activities, uh, hosting model and all that is still going to be there And if you have just Workflow 4 installed, or I'm sorry, .NET 4 installed. So your existing workflows will run just fine. It's just a matter of moving those forward. Um, the other thing you can do, there's sort of an in-between path, is that if you try to, there are certain uh, guidelines for migration where you, you know, one of the most specific ones is avoid code activities. Code activities are a, a very simple-to-use activity in workflow right now where um, it's sort of like a button-click handler is, is right. a way to think about it, is that code activity gets reached in the workflow and it, it fires an event to a handler in your code behind. And so people have a tendency to just have a lot of those in their workflow, and then those become kind of the method bodies where you put the implementation. But that's the stuff that's not going to migrate at all because there is no code behind in Workflow 4. Wait a minute. There is no code behind. So how do you, do you have the, the whole idea of a code activity? You do not. There's uh, no what? such thing. <laughs> you can't call your own code? Well, certainly you can call your own code. Um, so what do there you do? Are, there's a couple of ways. There's a built-in activity called a uh, what's it called method invoke, I think, um, that basically you can point to a pre-compiled, you know, so a method on a class in a library, you can invoke that from the workflow. It's just you basically have to think about things up front instead of just sort of sloppily, you know, slapping it together by, I see. Uh, let's see, I want to do this here, so I'll create a code activity and put some code behind it. So you're not going to you're going to be you're not going to be able to debug it in other words. Is that what you're saying? Well, certainly you can debug it uh, because you could call it from a unit test first, you know, if you're doing things in a test driven way or even if you just write a little, you know, simple test harness because there're just going to be methods on classes that take parameters, but you can invoke those and pass the parameters from your workflow declaratively. So what's the difference then? Then from a from a well, code the main activity. difference is that if you've done things with code activities, what you tend to have is a workflow class in 3.0 now we're talking. You would have a workflow class with, you know, dozens to hundreds of, of methods that are basically event handlers. You know, it's sort of like a, you know, a really complex uh, ASP.NET form with, with lots of code behind uh, event handlers. Okay. And to migrate that forward, you would basically have to go in and strip out the code that's inside those method bodies package them up as separate, you know, methods on classes that you could call from the workflow. Isn't that what they are, those methods on classes? Well, they are, too, you know, so I, I guess sort of a, a, a sloppy middle, middle way of doing it would be to go and just sort of copy-paste out all the method bodies and ignore the fact that their signature, you know, is like object sender event argz, and, uh, and you would have to somehow get the real data that they want to work on into those methods. So that's that's the other problem is usually what those code behind methods do is they work directly on 
properties and, and methods that are part of the workflow definition itself. So you could try to go in and sort of, you know, open heart surgery, strip out just the Cody parts of your workflow class and wrap those up as just a normal class and then call that from a workflow for class, uh, workflow. But it's just, it's one of these things, the, the, the architecture, the, the design of a workflow three workflow just leads you down the path of having this tightly coupled. Right. I was going to say that this is really good for decoupling to be able to move things to a different class. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. like I, I'm, I think you guys have talked, you know, with some of the past guests about view model and, and you know, separation of code in, in UIs these days. Sure. MVC or, or view model in, uh, in Silverlight and, and uh, WPF. It's the same basic concept there where you could go and have a complex form and just do everything in code behind with event handlers, but you end up with a, a you know, tightly coupled mess in the code behind. Right. Or you can try to separate out your logic code into a separate class that you can easily unit test and that's decoupled from the UI definition. Same basic concept here. You can almost think of this as they're forcing you down the path of having a view model-like thing for your workflow. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I, I, that, that makes sense to me. Um, it, you know, once you, once you describe it that way, I mean, it makes total sense. What about... Um, what do you do about your state machine workflows? Do you have to just re completely redesign them as flowcharts? Unfortunately, at this point, yeah, that's pretty much it. You can, you know, like I said, you can run it as is uh, with no changes. And well, it, even you know, you can continue to make changes to it as a three five workflow. But at the point where you want to start running it as a as a four zero workflow, right? Um, you pretty much have to whip out that migration guide they have, and they have several. Suggested approaches, you know, one is the complete rewrite is uh, usually as a flowchart. Because you can run three five workflows in four zero, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because they'll have both runtimes there. Hmm. So you're not actually running it in four zero; you're just running it in three five. It's there. Yeah, it's there exactly. And you don't get the benefit from the new designer or the, you know any of these other new features right. that we're talking about. No performance improvement, etc. Um. So, yeah, it's pretty much a matter of either a complete rewrite, probably as a flowchart, um, or they talk notionally about, well, you could create your own state machine, you know, and so it's like, yeah, okay. ultimately, a state machine is just an activity. So if you want to go to, and do all the mm-hmm. work that they didn't have time to do themselves, <laughs> feel free. Mm-hmm. Knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But I, they are getting a lot of pressure on this, uh, and there's definitely a lot of strong... Uh, you know, strong feedback. Enthusiastic. Lot, lots of those, uh, you know, Microsoft comments, uh, that's good feedback. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. We hear you. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how long it stays this way because they're, they're getting beat up pretty good over the fact that there's no, no state machine there. Yeah. Yeah, well, don't hurt your existing customers. Yeah. But the other uh, migration thing we should definitely mention is that you know, if you start doing the right thing now, which is stop using code activities, um, the other thing to also stop using is lots of uh, 3.0 events raise, or I'm sorry, 3.0 activities raise events, sort of pre and post events, and then sort of as they're doing their thing, they'll raise events. So, you know, an easy example everyone can wrap their head around is a delay activity that, you know, say you have a two-week waiting period. Right. You know, the delay activity fires an event where you can decide what interval to use as it's being invoked and can fire another event when it's done, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's a tendency, hey, there's an event there, I'll just hook up in code behind the event handler, and it's the same problem as the code activity. Now you've got that chunk of code that's tightly woven into the workflow definition itself. Um, so basically you want to get away from code activities, get away from handling the events, and just try to encapsulate whatever it is you need to do at a given step in your workflow. Take the time to write it as a custom activity, because one thing they have in Workflow 4.0 is a, a new activity called an interop activity. Ah. And basically, it's just a little container that you drop a 3.5 activity into, and now your 3.5 custom activities will run on 4.0. So if you've got things properly encapsulated as a, as a 3.5 custom activity, then that can actually run on 4.0. They basically just have kind of a, a bridge of the way you hook up your properties in 3.5 to the way you hook up your properties in 4.0. So there are some techniques you can use in 3.5 right now that will make migration less painful. Yes, definitely. And, and those two I just mentioned, avoid code activity and avoid uh, event handling in, in the workflow itself. Uh, those are you know the two to keep at the forefront of your mind. Right. I, uh, Brian, what's, uh, what's the role of Dublin in all this? Well, actually, what is Dublin? I thought it was part of the Oslo project. Well, yeah, it all got kind of mingled together for a while there because originally yeah. they were using Os- Oslo to refer to pretty much everything new in connected systems, including right. Workflow 4 and, and WCF 4. Um, Dublin is a set of extensions for Windows Server, basically. Okay. So it's really more of an IT infrastructure thing. Um, one simplistic way of looking at it is sort of some of the infrastructure bits that BizTalk has, or at least the infrastructure capabilities that BizTalk has for the messaging it does, stripped out and, and made it accessible to workflows and WCF. Right. So it's basically uh, another way to think of it is, you know, an, an enhanced version of IIS or uh, the Windows Activation Service, Yeah. Um, which are there in, in Windows Server today. So it really just gives you kind of a... a um, a hosting environment, so you can already host your uh, workflow services and WCF services in IIS today, but it's pretty much all manual manipulation of config files and and uh, and SVC files and all this stuff to actually make that happen. With with Dublin, it's a basically a more integrated experience into the IIS management tools. Mm-hmm. So you know, services and and workflows become first class constructs in the management tools. And you have things like, you know, monitoring uh, capabilities to see what services are running. Uh, you know, are there services in a faulted state? Uh, you know, how many messages have been passed through a given endpoint? Things like that all, all become accessible through the, uh, through the management tools. And this is all basically just something that, you know, will become things you enable in the application role of a, of a Windows Server uh, box. Do you get the sense if you... Uh... If you took Workflow 4, which is a free library, and Dublin, which, of course, hasn't shipped yet, but it'll probably be a services library for Windows, you could recreate BizTalk? Uh, not really. I mean, BizTalk is still a separate beast. Um, you know, there's BizTalk's got its orchestrations, which have a lot of overlap with what Workflow is, and that's really yeah. where the Workflow uh, Foundation started, is they just stole all the people and concepts from the Workflow orchestration and started there. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of overlap there conceptually, but there's just there's some very specific things that that BizTalk does that are not part of either Workflow or Dublin. Specifically, the external application integration capabilities, all the adapters and 
ability to, you know, integrate with mainframes and integrate with HL7, you know, insurance reporting and, and all that right. kind of stuff that, that are built-in capabilities of BizTalk, you know, those are, those are things you got to buy, basically. And, and so those, I think, will remain part of BizTalk. Okay. But potentially the next version of BizTalk becomes, you know, another thing that runs on top of Windows Workflow for its orchestrations and maybe hosted on an enhanced version of Dublin. Uh, I haven't really heard specific details on that, but the way it sounds, you know, it's, it's sort of coming together very similar to, like, uh, Windows SharePoint services versus SharePoint, uh, I can never remember the name of the full-blown, not SharePoint portal anymore, but uh, whatever they call the, you know, full-blown version of SharePoint that you got to pay Moss. for. Moss, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, and, and therein lies an interesting point, which is you, you'd think that folks that were using Workflow could hook into BizTalk quite painlessly, that it would be a natural extension of that. But right now it's not. Right now it's not because, the, you know, the way you declare orchestrations in, in BizTalk is sort of similar graphically, but just, you know, the names of everything's different and yeah. everything's built around the messaging model of, of BizTalk, uh, whereas Workflow itself is just kind of more freeform. But you could certainly think of creating a set of BizTalk activities the same way I described that they created a set of SharePoint activities. You can certainly see creating a set of BizTalk activities that are just, you know, special workflow activities. Right. Yeah, well, that's what you'd want to be able to do. And But I also think it's a logical extension that you start down this workflow path and then realize I need to get into orchestrations. I ought to be able to drop BizTalk in and hook it in, and it's just a non-event. And this sounds like a fairly significant integration exercise. Yeah, well, I think, you know, all indications are that's sort of where they're headed. I'm not sure what version of BizTalk it would come in at. But I think it would be a matter of you get to that point where you say, yeah, I should really be using BizTalk for this. And now you just, you know, you install the BizTalk stuff and now you start dragging and dropping BizTalk activities onto your workflows. And now your hosting environment becomes whatever the, the runtime is for BizTalk at that point. Like I said, it, right. it could very well just be an enhanced version of Dublin or it could just be Dublin under the covers with more tools surrounding it. Yeah, it seems like they're, different parts of Microsoft competing with each other here, that these products are overlapping pretty significantly. Well, at least with BizTalk, the good thing is that, you know, BizTalk is owned by Connected Systems, which does Dublin and does Workflow. Right. So there's there's less potential there for, you know. There's got to be somebody looking at, are these things all distinct? Where do we provide value? Well, exactly. And, I mean, there's also, you know, ties back to, you mentioned Oslo, and really what Oslo has become now is is more of the, the modeling side of things, and uh, but there is a tie-in there that the, the Oslo repository, um, because workflows are completely declarative, uh, one way of storing your workflows and having them ready to be called up and executed would be to have them stored in the Oslo repository. Right. Yeah, and you could see sometime in the future where Oslo would describe workflows. Right, because uh, it's all, you know, it's a, a model based a diagram-based modeling environment um, that's ultimately spitting out some domain-specific code. And so in this case, you know, the domain-specific code could be the set of activities uh, that you've chose to declaratively hook up in the designer. Right. Yeah, no, it, it looks like possibilities. I do think uh, as developers, we're sort of sitting back going, when is this actually going to be ready? Do I have to be the one who experiments with it? What real advantage do I get being first here? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on the on the Oslo side of things. I'm still kind of holding out a little bit. Um, you know, definitely trying to stay on top of what they're doing and where they say it's going. Um, but I constantly try to look at what's there and say, okay, which of the customers I interact with would actually jump on this? Right, would and be excited to have it. So far, the list there is is almost none. So I, yeah. I think there's definitely a you know a specialized market of people who would jump on it and, and be all over it for domain-specific languages. Um, you know, once the, the integration story becomes more clear with using the Oslo repository for things like workflows and, and services and stuff, I can definitely see potential for that part of it to be more mainstream. But the DSL side of things, um, I just don't think there's that many people thinking about writing their own language, you know, for their specific domain yet. Well, and it's not even just thinking about it. When is it going to be a good idea? Yeah, exactly. When are they saying Workflow 4 will be out? Well, it releases as part of .NET 4. Oh, okay, so sure. Whenever, you know, whenever that is, I think the latest, you know, only thing they would say from Microsoft answer is first half of 2010, I think, is the projection. I'm not sure if that's speculation, you know, rumor, or I don't even remember who exactly I heard that from, so... Well, and .NET 4 is part of the Studio 2010 release, too. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, so it's all tied together. So it's all tied together. Good. It's going to yeah. be the first half of next year. I think that's fair. Probably. Yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, they've they've kept it to November, December releases for the last couple, but I don't know if they'll make that on this one. Yep. Just based on where they're at now. Yeah, you never know. Some stuff's early and some stuff's not. And, and let's face it, the... The more products you combine together, like Framework and all of these libraries and Studio, the less likely you are to get everything out early. And and Studio 2010 looks to be a really significant version of Studio. Well, definitely. I mean, you know, just from the Studio perspective, the complete rewrite in WPF is certainly going to... Yeah, that's not a little thing. No. So I think Studio is the stumbling block. It's a good. It's stumbling for a good reason, but still, that's the one. It's going to be the tough one to ship. Yeah, it's always interesting when you get to the end game of these, seeing you know who's the critical path, <laughs> who's holding up the release. Yeah, who's holding the really holding this up, and then you start getting into the slash and burn phase of what can we get out of here to get out the door. <laughs> and, I don't uh, envy those guys. I got a lot of respect for what they do. It's hard work. But, uh, yeah, we pay the price, too. It's it's hard on all of us. Indeed. Well, Brian, that about brings us to the end of the show. Is there uh, anything else that you want to add before we adjourn? No, I just, uh, I, you know, I'd encourage people if they looked at workflow before and dismissed it because of complexity or, you know, spending too much time putting Band-Aids on the paper cuts, um, you know, take another look at workflow for, uh, you know, if you, if you don't have a pressing need for it, you might want to, Wait for a release candidate just because the, the initial impression uh, with the designer right now is, is a little rough because it's a, you know, a first public release of the WPF-based designer. So it, it can give a, a, a slightly false negative first impression. But um, definitely read some of the stuff that's coming out about 4.0 and, and see if it uh, fits your needs or sounds like it could and give it a chance. All right. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun being here. All right. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you next time on Don Rocks. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions. 
providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a 